Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. We continue our studies in this great book, the book of Revelation. One of the great dangers, I think, that uh, the book of Revelation holds, I think, for us is that we, we build up all of these kinds of schemes and plans and theories about uh, the book, and we must be careful that we don't impose any system of thought or scheme or idea onto the book. So we always must be aware that we can fall into that trap. So that's why I've been trying to give a, a much broader overview uh, of the book of Revelation, because it helps me certainly, and I pray that it would help you. So, Revelation chapter 18, and beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> John says, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day death and mourning and famine and she will be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say alas alas you great city you mighty city Babylon for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed is gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud, alas, Alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all those whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. 
and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on the earth. And may God bless to us the reading of his word. Let's pray together. <coughs> Heavenly Father, what a great book we have been considering together, this last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Now help us, we pray this morning, to, to understand chapter 18 and these chapters that are uh, surrounding it, that we might grasp the great city, the destruction of the great city. So we ask your blessing upon us that we might comprehend like the seven churches were supposed to understand and comprehend the purposes of God. So help us to that end, we pray. We ask your blessing now upon the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Augustine, as you know, is most famous for... Uh, his little book called The Confessions, his confessions, right? He making confession about his life and telling us about his life and writing about his life. But Augustine wrote another book that was just as famous and it's called The City of God. And The City of God that was written by Augustine is a very important and a very interesting book because what he does is he contrasts the city of God versus the city of man. And if ever we have read a passage where we find described for us the city of man, surely it's Revelation chapter 18. In fact, it's called the great city in this chapter. And so Augustine writes this book because Rome has long been considered uh, the eternal city or the imperial city. And in the year, of course, 410, uh, Augustine began his book on the city of God in about 413, but three years previously, Alaric uh, and the Visigoths had come and had sacked Rome. And the question that Augustine wanted to ask the Romans was, well, if all the gods are on your side, these gods of Rome, and even the gods of Greece, if they have agreement among themselves, if all these gods are in favor of Rome as the eternal city, the imperial city, then why has she fallen and why has she collapsed in 410? How come Alaric can come with his Visigoths and sack the city? And perhaps we might even say in the year 476, the final dismantling of the city of Rome, that thereafter Rome does not exist except as a divided entity with much weakened power and certainly no emperors anymore over this one united kingdom. Jerome said, the church father, that this city which had taken the whole world was itself taken, meaning the collapse of Rome by Alaric and others. He also called Rome the mother of nations. We all know then that Rome came to an end. The question before us this morning is, is Rome the great city of Revelation chapter 18? Augustine's book is a spiritual book. It's designed to address idolatry, the, the spiritual idolatry of the cities of the world encapsulated in the city of Rome uh, versus the spiritual purity of the city of God. You remember how Abraham in Hebrews, he longed for and looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Abraham wasn't interested in building a city in the, in the land of promise. He never did that. He moved around in his tent because his eye was fixed on an eternal perspective, an eternal city, the city of God. So where are your gods then, Rome? Augustine would ask. Why haven't they come to your help? And you are destroyed. Here in Revelation chapter 18, you notice that we read about a city that is referred to as Babylon. Babylon the Great. So notice in verse 2, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Go down to verse 10. Alas, 
Alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon. Look at verse 16. Alas, alas, for the great city. Verse 18. What city was like the great city? Verse 19. Alas, alas, for the great city. And in verse 21. So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down and be found no more. So in all of those verses, you come across this title or name for what is described as the great city, and it is referred to as Babylon. So Revelation chapter 18 is a description, isn't it, of the fall of this great city that is referred to as Babylon. Now that should raise some questions for you, because of course, John, are you referring to the ancient kingdom, and the ancient city of Babylon, the city of Nebuchadnezzar? Surely you're not referring to that city when you talk about Babylon in Revelation chapter 18. Remind yourself of Babylon. It was Nebuchadnezzar who one night came out on his palace uh, on the, 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 the walls there and looked out over the city of Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 4 he said, Is not this Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And you know what happened to him, right? God judged him. God cast him out of his kingdom and put him in a field and he lived like a beast in the field for seven years until he came to realize that there was a God in heaven. God judged him for his arrogance. God judged him for his pride. And he was cast out of his royal majesty and rule. John, surely John cannot be referring to that Babylon, that ancient Babylon, because that Babylon, as you know, was overthrown by the Medes and the Persians in 538-539 B.C when Cyrus the Great and Darius the Mede came through the city, in the, through the river as it flowed into the city, while Belshazzar was having his great feast and the handwriting of God was being written on the wall and Daniel was interpreting the writing and saying, Tonight, Belshazzar, tonight it's over for you and for Babylon. And surely Cyrus the Great came in and Darius the Mede and overthrew that kingdom. So 600 years previously to John's writing, nearly 600 years, that ancient kingdom has been destroyed. Babylon does not exist. So how can there be Babylon in Revelation chapter 18 when John writes? Even Isaiah the prophet, he spoke of Babylon's fall and he spoke of it in terms of God's judgment against the city. And surely he was referring, Isaiah the prophet, to 538, 539 when Babylon fell. But if you read Isaiah chapter 13, you read about an oracle from Isaiah the prophet denouncing the city of Babylon. And it's a staggering denunciation. It's a powerful diatribe against Babylon for her many sins. In fact, Isaiah seems to imply in chapter 13 that even the cosmic powers are engaged in the struggle that was taking place in Babylon. It was as if, he says, all creation had launched itself at the destruction of Babylon. And this is what he says. Isaiah 13, verse 19. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms... The splendor and the pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. And then in verse 20 of chapter 13, it will never be inhabited nor lived in for all generations. Why? Because it would become a dwelling place for wild animals and so on. 200 years after Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Great, another great king arose, Alexander the Great the ruler of the Greek kingdom. Alexander, who lived such a short life and ruled for such a short time, had visions of the world as his kingdom. He desired, as he passed through uh, that ancient kingdom, he desired to rebuild the city of Babylon. But he never got to it because his life was cut short and he died. But he had hopes of raising Babylon. But God said, Babylon will never be inhabited again. So how come, John, you start talking now in Revelation chapter 18 about Babylon? And you seem to speak about it in a number of ways. 
And so in Isaiah 21 and verse 9, these are the words that John actually refers to. And Isaiah says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her gods have been shattered to the ground. Now, Babylon in the Old Testament was an ancient kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. In fact, it had a long history, didn't it? You can read about the ancient dynasties of Babylon. They go way back. Perhaps they go back as far as Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11 to that man Nimrod, who founded the city of Babel. And some have interpreted, well, Babel is Babylon. Nimrod certainly uh, was a builder of many cities. In fact, he built Nineveh, which is the capital city of the Assyrian nation, the nation before the Babylonians came to power. So perhaps it goes back to Nimrod's time, which is an ancient history and a long history. There are nearly 300 references to Babylon in the Bible. Twelve of those references are in the New Testament. And six of those twelve are in the book of Revelation. And so what is this Babylon that we're talking about. If ancient Babylon is not the Babylon of Revelation because she doesn't exist anymore, then who is she? The vast majority of Christian commentators, the vast majority, and I probably would put that at 97%, and that might be on the low side. The vast majority of commentators, both popular commentators and scholarly commentators, always see Babylon in Revelation 18 as the city of Rome. Always. In fact, I would say that the vast majority of Christians, maybe 99% of Christians, see Babylon in Revelation chapter 18 in the same way, that this is a description of the fall of Rome. That fallen, fallen is Babylon, and what greater city had power in John's time than the city of Rome. So surely this is Rome. So let me just give you some reasons why people say that this is the city of Rome. First of all, many Jewish sources attribute Babylon to Rome in the first century. But there's the reason why they do that, because most of those, in fact I would say all of those Jewish sources, quote Babylon or quote Rome as being Babylon, Post AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. So, if you're living after AD 70 in the first century as a Jew, you look back and you see Jerusalem destroyed and the temple destroyed, and who's the kingdom in power? Who did that? That was Rome. So, Rome is this great city that has done that, and they would make that connection, I think, uh, because also in their history they can look back to 586 and see Nebuchadnezzar destroying Jerusalem and the temple in exactly the same way. So from a Jewish perspective, there certainly is an ancient history of the destruction of Jerusalem by these ancient kingdoms. First by Babylon, old Babylon, and now by Rome in AD 70. So therefore, this description of Babylon in Revelation 18 must be referring to Rome. So every Jew would remember that and think in that way. But I want you to look with me this morning to one chapter previously in chapter 17. And I want just you, you to look at just one verse. The first verse to consider is look at the last verse of chapter 17. So right before we begin chapter 18, it says, And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the king's of the earth. Well, that surely must be Rome. The great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And then, of course, chapter 18 is about the fall of the great city that John talks about here in verse 18 of chapter 17. So this dominion, this power in verse 18 of chapter 17 is said to belong to Rome. She ruled the world. She exercised authority over all nations. What nation was there that wasn't in the kingdom or the empire of Rome? Then look at verse 9 of chapter 17. John says, now, look, this calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. Five 
of whom have fallen. And generally, we interpret the five have fallen as being the Caesars in line, and the Caesar that now is in power, the sixth, the one that is, is, of course, Nero, the emperor. So this must be a reference, the seven heads of the beast are seven mountains, and those seven mountains are said in verse 10 to be these seven kings. And Rome, of course, is often associated with the seven hills of Rome that surround Rome. Therefore, the city here must be the, the city of Rome. So those are some of the reasons why many feel that this is strong evidence to think that Revelation chapter 18, the fall of Babylon the Great, is none other than the fall of of the Roman city or the city of Rome. Now, having said all that, I want to show you something a little different this morning. So I'm going against a lot of people, popular, scholarly, a lot of Christians, okay? First of all, will you look with me at chapter 17, verses 1 through 6? I'm going to read these verses. Chapter 17. Then one of the angels who had the seven bowls, the seven bowls of judgment, he came and he said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And certainly, many people died, right, in Rome. They were killed and martyred in Rome. But I want you to see in these verses, first of all in verse 3, He carried me away in the spirit into a wild, the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. Will you notice that there are two entities? There is the woman, and there is the beast. The woman and the beast. Not the same, but the woman sitting on the beast. And then if you look at verse 7 of uh, chapter 17, the angel says to me, why did you marvel? Because he marveled greatly. He says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. So the angel says to John, look, here's the mystery of the woman and here's the mystery of the beast. This is the first thing you need to understand when you try to identify the great city of Revelation chapter 18 that this woman and this beast in Revelation 17 are not the same thing. That they are two separate entities and that's how John sees them. Then if you look in verse 1 of chapter 17 Come I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is the woman who is seated on many waters. So he calls the woman, in verse 1, the great prostitute or the great harlot. If you go down to verse 15 of chapter 17, verse 15, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Verse 16, and the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. Let's be of no under no misconception that the two entities here are separate entities, right? And in verse 5, you will notice that the woman on her forehead has a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And if you go down to verse 18, same chapter, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So the woman is now called Babylon the Great in verse 5 and she, the woman, verse 18 is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And then if you look at verse 6 of chapter 17 and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. If you go back by the way to chapter 16 verse 5 
The third angel, pouring out his bowl of judgment, says in verse 5 of chapter 16, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you have brought these judgments, for they, verse 6, have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. So why is judgment coming? Judgment is coming because they have killed the people of God. They've killed the saints. They've killed the prophets. And if you look at the last verse, I think, of chapter 18, it says, And in her was found, this is the great city, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. So judgment has come because this great city is responsible for killing the believers, the followers of Jesus, the prophets, and so on. And you discover in verse 9 of chapter 17 that John says, look, this calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, and the woman is seated on those seven heads and seven mountains which belong and which are the beast. So let's understand the very first thing. The woman and the beast are not the same. They are separate entities. That's the first thing. Now, in chapter 17, verse 8, or verse 7 even, verse 7, all the way through to the end of chapter 17, John is told, first of all, about the beast in verses 8 through 14. So if you read chapter 17, verses 8 through 14, it talks about the beast. And then, particularly in verses 15 through the end of chapter 17, it talks about the woman. So look at verse 15, chapter 17. The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute, make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh, burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So stop for a moment now and just remind yourself, what do you know about the beast? Well, we know about the beast from chapter 13, when I saw, John says, coming out of the sea, this great beast that stood on the sand of the seashore. That's the first time we're introduced to the beast in the book of Revelation, back in chapter 13. When John writes about the beast, we know from our Bibles that we have to go back to the prophet Daniel, who also talked about beasts. And so you go back, of course, to Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. You remember the great, the great image? The head of gold is Babylon. Then the chest is silver, and that's the, 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 the Medes and the Persians. Then you get down to the waist, and that's, that's the third kingdom, and that's the kingdom of Greece. Then you get this, the legs and the feet, this beast or this kingdom in Nebuchadnezzar's vision, that's the fourth kingdom. So from Babylon, uh, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. When we look back, we see that, and you see that from Daniel. But when you read Daniel's vision himself of the kings and the beasts itself in Daniel chapter 7, when Daniel gets to the fourth beast, which is the same as the fourth kingdom of Daniel chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar saw, that fourth beast is said to be terrifying, dreadful, and exceedingly strong. And he was terrified, Daniel, by that fourth beast, which is the fourth kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar's dream or vision of the image that he saw. So we are right. When you call the beast in Revelation 17, Rome, we are right. That is correct. The beast is Rome. The beast is the empire. Even particularly the Roman king or emperor in verses 8 through 14 of chapter 17. Particularly verse 10. There are seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is the current ruler. And uh, I think a strong case can be made that that current ruler is none other than Emperor Nero in the first century. But I want you to notice in verse 3 of chapter 17, as I've already said, the woman is not the beast, and the beast is not the woman. So we separate that in our minds, right? 
However, there certainly appears to be some relationship, right, between the beast and the woman. The woman is seated on the beast. They have some sort of union, some relationship between them uh, in verses 3 through 5. And that relationship, by the time you get to verse 15 and 16 of chapter 17, is dissolved. Because look what it says in verse 16. The ten horns, all right, the ten kings that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. So whatever happened previously, they're uniting together. Now is a separation (coughs) where the beast and the ten horns hate the prostitute, make her desolate, naked, devour her flesh and burn her with fire. How did they coexist? They were united in blasphemy. So if you go back, for instance, to the beginning, it says in verse 3 of chapter 17, He carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman <coughs> excuse me, sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. So the beast is blasphemous. And it was arrayed in... It, uh, sorry, it had seven heads and ten horns. But look at the woman... Verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple, scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. So now you get the idea that the beast and the woman are great sinners, right? The sin of them is, is horrible. In particular, the woman is guilty of abominations, impurities, immoralities. And in chapter 17, notice verse 1, she's called the great prostitute. In verse 5, she's called the mother of prostitutes. And in verse 16, the prostitute. The prostitute. So now the question is, okay, if we've been able to identify Rome, the fourth beast, separated from the woman who somehow was sitting on the beast and somehow is going to be destroyed by the beast, Who is this woman then that John is talking about? (coughs) Will you notice in verse 1 of chapter 17 that one thing is coming upon the woman? (coughs) Come, verse 1 of chapter 17, Come, the seven angel of the seven bowls, one of them says, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. And then if you go down to verse 17, chapter 17, God has put it into their hearts, okay, that's the beast, that's the ten kings, (coughs) has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So what is that about? It's about judgment, right? What is the judgment? Look at verse 16 of chapter 17. The ten horns, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate, naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. So the woman is going to come under some sort of judgment, great judgment, right? Even destruction, made desolate, burned up with fire, devouring her flesh, and so on. By the the beast and by the allies of the beast, these ten kings. So now, when you get to chapter 18, what is it all about? It's a lament, right? It's a mourning over the collapse, over the destruction, over the fall of the great city. So John is just continuing his theme from Revelation chapter 17, uh, where he has talked about destruction and judgment by the beast on the woman. In chapter 18, he just continues thinking about the fall of the beast and laments over it, right? So a great cry rises over the destruction of the woman, which is called in verse 10, look at chapter 18 now, in verse 10, the great city, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon. And then if you look at verse 16, alas, alas, for the great city, this is chapter 18, right? And then verse 18, what city was like the great city? Verse 19, alas, alas, for the great city. So this is about a lament. Alas, alas. And notice the participants, right, in verse 9, and the kings of the earth 
who committed immorality, sexual immorality, and lived in luxury with her, the woman with her, they will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. (coughs) They will cry out, alas, alas, you great city. Look at verse 11. Not just the kings of the earth, but the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her because there's no more business, no more trade between them. (coughs) Verse 17, he says, In a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste, and all the shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, they stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, What city? was like the great city. Verse 19. They threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out. So notice this lament by the kings of the earth, by the merchants of the earth, and by all who trade on the sea. So now the question is, what's happening to Babylon? What is happening to this city? Or particularly, we could say, what's happening to the woman? Well, verse 10, chapter 18 excuse me notice verse 10 second part for in a single hour your judgment has come so judgment comes quickly look at verse 20 rejoice over her O heaven and you saints and apostles and prophets for God has given judgment for you against her so this judgment comes quickly in a single hour very short The time frame comes quickly. In a single hour, your judgment has come. Verse 17, in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. Verse 19, in a single hour, she, the city, has been laid waste. So that when you get to verse 21 of chapter 18, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. What kind of judgment is that? It's a complete judgment. It's a total destruction, right? We read about judgment, the judgment that would come from the beast and the ten allies, the ten kings, who would devour her with fire, who would destroy her completely and utterly. And now we read that God has given judgment against her. And so the Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down with violence and will be no more. So what is this about? It's about judgment upon a city, right? A city that is called Babylon. But will you turn back with me to chapter 16 and look what John says in chapter 16. The seventh bowl judgment, chapter 16, verse 17, chapter 16, verse 17. So the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came from the temple, from the throne, this is in heaven, saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, great earthquakes such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split in three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled, and no mountains were to be found. Great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on earth, Sorry, fell from heaven on people. They cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. I mean, what is that? That's visionary language, right? All all the judgment scenes, the beginning with the seal judgments and the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments, all of those judgments are visionary scenes that John sees in a variety of ways that are about the judgment of God. But you notice that the great city in chapter 16 is split into three parts. And how do you explain that? Well, it may be that the Apostle John is making an allusion to Ezekiel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, where God told the prophet Ezekiel, look Ezekiel, I need you to shave your head. Then I need you to divide your hair into three parts. And those three parts of your divided hair represent, illustrate my judgment against the city. The city of Jerusalem in Ezekiel's day. So this, this language that you read, you have to be very careful that you don't just go, oh, 
Take it literally, and there, this is what it means. Because when you do that, you are going to have to transport yourself somewhere, way in the future, unknown, that you have no idea about. And you must say to yourselves, neither then did the seven churches know anything from chapter 4 in Revelation onwards. But I suggest to you that everything John writes is so that the seven churches know exactly what is coming and what is going to befall, so that they are prepared spiritually to live in a world that is totally against them. And that's how we must learn to think when we come to this great book, the book of Revelation. Now there's just one more passage that I bring to you, chapter 11 of Revelation. So you just go back. Now you come to the first mention of the great city. So chapter 11, verse 7. So, when they have finished their testimony, the two witnesses, right, which is reminiscent of Zechariah chapter 4, the witnesses of God, the two lampstands. The lampstands remind you of the churches, of the seven churches, therefore of the church of God. When they have finished their testimony, the beast, this is verse 7, chapter 11, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. So right up front in Revelation 11 you know that the great city was where their Lord was crucified. Now where was their Lord crucified? crucified. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. John tells us plainly in Jerusalem, the city, right? This is the great city. So the great city is said to be in a spiritual sense like Sodom and like Egypt where their Lord was crucified. So there's no question, I think, that Revelation 11a tells us that the great city where Jesus was crucified, we know to be none other than the city of Jerusalem. But why should we link Jerusalem to Sodom And why should we link it to Egypt? And notice that one is a city and the other is a country. Egypt the country and Sodom the city. Well, the first thing we know is that Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, but Sodom is typified throughout history for her depraved sins, her vile sexual sins, her human trafficking or depravity in the body. And what did God do with Sodom? He overthrew Sodom, didn't he? He judged it. He destroyed it. He brought his judgments in Genesis 19. So much so that there's no more Sodom. No more Gomorrah. They were burned with fire. When the prophet Jeremiah looks at the prophets of his day, this is what he says in Jeremiah 23. He says, But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me. This is God. Become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem in Jeremiah's day, the prophets, are likened to Sodom and the people are likened to Gomorrah. So there's no question that Sodom in the Bible reprehends vile deviancy and sexual sin and depravity. That's Sodom. What does John say in Revelation 11? Jerusalem is just like that. Just like that. No difference. And then you'll notice he uses the word Egypt. What is Egypt all about? I mean, what does Egypt represent? Egypt long represents a stiff-necked opposition to God himself and is dependent on idolatry. I mean, look at Pharaoh, right, when Moses came to him. No, no, let my people go. No, 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 no. He's just stiff-necked, right? In fact, he's rebuked for the hardness of his heart. And Egypt, of course, was well known for their idols and idolatry because the people of, uh, of Israel who came out into the wilderness, they took, them, took the idols with them and worshipped them in the wilderness. So Egypt is known for her idolatry. And so you find Jerusalem, the city of God, is linked to idolatry. So it's linked to immorality and it's linked 
to idolatry, Sodom and Egypt, and both of those cities exude, do they not, a vileness and a wickedness and a rebellion that Revelation 11 verse 8 says, Jerusalem, where the Lord was crucified, the great city, is just like them. Now if God did that to Sodom and judged Egypt, what will he do to this one who is full of abominations? And so on, as we read and have read in this, these chapters. So the, I think there's no question Revelation 11 is a reference to Jerusalem. That the great city first mentioned in Revelation 11 is Jerusalem. And every time you read about the great city, and every time you read about Babylon in the book of Revelation, it's a reference not to Rome. Rome is the beast. But it's a reference to the city of Jerusalem. And John contrasts the earthly Jerusalem, the great city, Babylon, by the time you get to Revelation 21, with the heavenly city. Now remember what Augustine did. He contrasted the city of God with the city of man. That's exactly what John does in Revelation 17, 18, 19, change. When you get to 21, it's the heavenly Jerusalem. I saw a bride coming down out from heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is none other than the church, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. John contrasts that beautiful city, Revelation 21, with this horrible city in Revelation 17 and verse 18. In fact, the great city back in Revelation 16 is distinguished from the cities of the nations. That this city has a unique place in history. That she is not to be confused with the cities of the nations of which the beast rules over, but she is separated and she is distinguished from them. She has become to God as unfaithful, as immoral, as idolatrous, as even Sodom and Gomorrah and Egypt herself. She has become, as 18, chapter 18 verse 2 says, a haunt for demons, a place for every uncleanness, and the kings of the earth, in chapter 18, verse 3, they have allied with her. They have joined with her in her immoralities and they've promoted it. And the merchants of the earth have benefited from her luxurious living and her power. Doesn't the Bible call Jerusalem the center of all the nations? It is the heartbeat of the world, Jerusalem. So why is this important for me? Right? 2,000 years later, or, <coughs> put it another way, why is it important for Ephesus? I mean, Ephesus is a Gentile city. Why is it important for Philadelphia? It's a Gentile city. These cities of Rome. These cities under the beast. Why is the destruction foretold of Babylon the Great, which we discovered to be Jerusalem, important for Ephesus and the seven churches? Or to put it another way, why is it important for you? Is it of relevance? We do know, do we not, from human history, that in AD 70, Jerusalem was wiped out. Titus, Vespasian, came with the Roman armies and utterly destroyed Jerusalem, not just the city, but the temple, the priesthood, everything. Everything is destroyed. So, God's people, look at chapter 18, verse 4 and 5, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. In other words, come out of her, have no association, make no alliance, don't corrupt yourself, don't compromise yourself, don't be like Jerusalem. That's all he's saying. Don't be like spiritual Jerusalem is this Jerusalem in the first century. Because her destruction, her fall, is promised and it's coming. And it's the promise of God. And by the way, it's the promise of Jesus. It's the promise of our Lord. So this is a warning to the seven churches. Look, watch out for the beast. Don't submit to the beast. But watch out for this entity that poses herself in spiritual ways that is false. False prophecies and so on. Stay away from the world in every aspect of the world. Why is it, dear congregation, that the church today is weak? Have you ever asked yourself, you read the book of Acts, what do you read about? Power, joy, right? 
And what do we attribute the power and the joy of the church to in the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's power. Why is it that we're so weak? Why is it that we're not like the first or the early church? What is it that's different? seems to me that the power of the Spirit is lacking. And I'm not talking about some charismatic experience. I'm talking about just being submissive to the work of God and to King Jesus and to the Spirit of God who dwells within us. What is our problem? Is not our problem yielding to the world, playing with the world, dallying with the world, even one little small dalliance with the world is allying yourself with the world. You're surrounded by the world. I dare say you could call up on your phone right now in this place, the world. Easy. In all of its vileness, right here, right now. You can do it. It's here with us. It's everywhere with us. The world, the system. Jerusalem didn't get away with it. In fact, look at the judgment utterly destroyed, burned with fire. That's exactly what Titus did in AD 70. He utterly destroyed Jerusalem. But do you know, it really wasn't Titus who was doing it. It was God who was destroying ancient Jerusalem. The promises of God from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy 28 and 29. You'll be sold into slavery. You'll be cast off if you abandon me. And they had abandoned God by the time you get to the first century. And didn't the leaders of the Jews, of the people of Israel, say to Herod and Pontius Pilate, or to Pilate, His blood, His blood be on us and our children. Fine! You want it? You got it. And it's the dismantling of the covenant relationship between Jerusalem as it represents Israel forever. Because there is no more approach to God through Israel, ever. Because Jesus is the King. And Jesus is the true Israel. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice we have. Not bulls and goats. Do you ever find anybody today going around sacrificing bulls and goats? Not even the Jews who would like to do that would do it. Because they don't have a temple. They don't have a temple. They want it. They want it. What would that be? I'll tell you what that would be. That would be blasphemy. Because there's only one sacrifice that counts. The sacrifice Jesus made. He has finished all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Because they're only copies. They're only shadows. They're only types. Jesus is the fulfillment. What are we trusting in today? Is it the Lord of glory? How do you approach God? Do you go through an Old Testament priest? Or do you even go through some priest in a church? No. You go straight through Jesus because he's the high priest. And he's not a priest like Aaron and Levi and all those Levites. He's after the order of Melchizedek. He's different. He has an endless life, lived in endless, indestructible power. This new high priest that is ours, our Lord. How do you get rid of a system that represents all that is in the Old Testament? In types, shadows and copies. You burn it with fire to destruction so that it is no more. That's exactly what God brought about. So, is God on my side if I'm sitting in Ephesus? Is God going to deliver me from the horrible things of the beast and the woman? Yes, He is. Trust Him. Yes, the beast has shed blood. But yes, Jerusalem, Babylon has shed the blood of prophets. You notice how that, don't miss that word, the blood of prophets. Those are Old Testament prophets. There's no prophets like that said to be killed by Rome. No, it's Jerusalem that killed the prophets. In fact, Jesus says a prophet cannot be away from the city of Jerusalem. That's where he must perish. That's what Jerusalem did. God says, look, don't compromise the gospel ever. Ever. Be my people. Isn't that what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6? Come out from among her and be separate says the Lord and I will be God to you and you will be my people touch no unclean thing in other words come out from Babylon come out from this world separate yourself from it in every aspect because Babylon represents the world in all of its glory and in all of its power in all of its seduction 
And ever since Ezekiel wrote about Jerusalem's fall and looked back and looked at Jerusalem's fall from his perspective, which was soon to come under Nebuchadnezzar, but he looked forward, of course, to all the destruction that would fall upon Jerusalem. Spiritual Babylon then is old Jerusalem, and it will be destroyed with fire, right? Chapter 17, verse 16, chapter 18, verse 8, by the beast. And there will be the smoke of her burning. The kings of the earth will see it. The merchants will see it. The sailors will see it. Everybody will witness this awful destruction that comes upon Jerusalem. And the beast then cannot be Babylon because the beast destroys Babylon. The beast destroys Jerusalem. And the nations are are deceived in chapter 18 verse 23 by Jerusalem's sorceries, by her sexual immoralities. Make no mistake, Jerusalem in the first century was bad. And by the time AD 70 came, it was idolatrous and greatly wicked against God and against the Lord Jesus Christ. In her is the blood of prophets and the blood of saints and the martyrs of Jesus. Now this is not about Rome. This is about Jerusalem, which represents a spiritual entity that we face today in the world. So many people today are worried about the political situation, right? I'm not worried about the political situation. That's not my great threat. Spiritual threat is the greater threat. Oh, you know, the beast can kill you. But will you compromise spiritually? This is the issue. Like old Babylon, Jerusalem here is promised to be destroyed. And so it will be. And Jesus, by the way, told us exactly when that would happen. So listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 21. You can read about this in Matthew 24 or in Mark's gospel chapter 13. But listen to what Jesus says precisely in Luke chapter 21. When you see, you disciples, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Rome, right? When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. These are days of vengeance. Vengeance by whom? By God. God's vengeance. There will be great distress on the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about AD 70. All these things, Mark 13, Matthew 24, will come upon this generation. You're going to see it. Simon Peter, Andrew, it's going to happen in your time. Okay, but what does it mean for me and the seven churches? Well, here it means you are the covenant people of God. You are now in a relationship with the living God. You are God's people. So be God's people. Be different. Be separated. Don't blend with the world. Don't marry to the world. God is for us, by the way, if you look at verse 20 of chapter 18. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. You Ephesians, you Smyrnans, you Thyatirans, you Laodiceans, God has given judgment against her for you, for your benefit, for your good. You are now God's people, so act like it. That's what he's saying. Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your king. Not the beast and the ten kings of this world. And not ever the beast in whatever form, representation we may think he comes. Never the beast. No, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Not Babylon. Not the scarlet woman who's described as the great harlot. No. Here is a call to the seven churches, and therefore a call to you and me this morning to be who we have become in Jesus. Are you not new creation in Christ? Think about a new creation from an old creation. Wouldn't you take the new every time? It's not just a renovation of the old. It's completely distinct from the old. The old is old, of no value. You are a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Live as that new creation. Stop being like what you once were. Isn't that what Jesus is saying to the seven churches, at least five of them? You're compromising. You're dallying with the world. 
I'm going to come among you and I'm going to judge you unless you fix the problem. I give you time to repent and do the first works. Do whatever it takes. I'm telling you the problem among you. Do it. Fix it. And I will come in blessing upon you. This is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Today, always, is the day of salvation. This is the day always to repent and to believe the gospel. Because this is what is coming came upon uh, ancient Jerusalem. Think of, it's better for judgment to begin at the house of God than to let us just go on in sin and rebellion and face ultimate judgment from. Let's deal with ourselves. Didn't we say that about the Lord's table? Judge yourselves, lest you be judged. This is what we have to do, right? So the Christian life is a, is a different life. God has made us his own people. His people are new people. They're a distinct people. They're the people of God. And what he's saying is, let's be just like that. Don't compromise with the world in any form, whether it's the beast or the woman. Be my people. Be clean. Come out from the unclean. Be separate, says the Lord. Let's pray together. Now, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your word, and we just pray your blessing upon our comprehension and understanding which sometimes is so hard in the book of Revelation because of all these symbols and all these pictures and visions and dreams. We ask that you'd give us wisdom to interpret your word and to see what your word says for our benefit, for our good. This is not something written uh, for some nation in the future where the church is supposedly not even going to be there. No, this is for the church right now, for the bride of Christ. We can learn from this today, even ourselves. So help us to pay attention. Thank you for your word. And now we ask your blessing upon what we've learned, that we might, as we go into the world and face the world, that we might consider these things as important, that we might learn to be a godly people. Change us, help us, transform us, make us like Christ, build us up as a church, make us strong in our faith, Fill us with your Holy Spirit. May his power be evident in our private lives, in our personal lives, and in our public lives, and as a, as, a, as a life in the church. So thank you for these things. Bless us now, we pray, Father. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.